Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, the Ringer is launching a new podcast feed called Boom Bust, a new hub for narrative podcasts documenting the rise and fall of companies, celebrities, and trends. Season one, hosted by our own Alyssa Bereznak, takes you through this spectacular journey of HQ trivia, the once $100 million industry-altering company turned disaster. Alyssa interviewed dozens of former employees, investors, journalists, and fans, bringing you the behind-the-scenes story of how HQ crumbled from within. Subscribe to Boom Bust HQ Trivia and check out the first two episodes out now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Gufaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. We're back. I'm back. Heel producer Jeremy back. I'm back. My wrestling viewing habits have gotten so whack ever since the coronavirus took over that it's been a little bit hard to do the show. But just this is a, the official editorial uh, decree is fuck it. We're just going to talk about wrestling every week as much as possible. And, uh, you know, who cares? Who cares if we're up to date or keeping track? And especially who cares at times like this when we're all kind of just dealing with hearing about um, the death of Shad Gaspard, who was uh, one half of crime time, I'm sure everybody remembers, and who just died. I guess they just made his death official today, or, but he was, um, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows the story, but he was out swimming with his son in Venice Beach, and uh, they got caught in a riptide, and the lifeguard came out, and Shad's like last words were, telling the lifeguard to save his son first which he did and after as the son was being saved Chad got taken under and now I guess officially is is dead it's just fucking heartbreaking man I mean for anybody who's a parent as if we're not sensitive right now sensitive enough right now in the age of coronavirus uh, when you hear a story like that it's just like just fucking devastating and you know swimming at the beach doesn't come with a user's guide you know, life doesn't come with a user's guide. There's a lot of shit out there that's like really fucking dangerous and hard to even think about. Um, but I have spent more time watching Shad Gaspard on YouTube over the past couple of days than I got to be honest. than like uh, sometimes I do when like a, a legend, an epic legend dies. Um, partly because with sometimes with like, you know, whatever when a big when macho man randy savage dies you feel like you remember a lot of it you know or whatever but like um part of it's just because like i was sort of enthralled um you know what is really like listen to this i don't know i mean we i've written about you know whatever the roles that people would kind of end up playing in wwe and i don't want to like get too like like you know sarcastic or 
whatever at this the early like at this point in the show but listen to this this is this is presumably true this is um this is from shad's wikipedia page listen to this jim okay shad was born in brooklyn his dad uh Ben Gaspard was a street enforcer for street gangs and then was a personal security guard for the gangster Frank Lucas. Wow. American gangster, right? Yeah. At eight, at five years old, his dad started training Chad in boxing. And then at eight, uh, he started training him in like mixed martial arts or like various martial arts, uh, Muay Thai, Judo, Jeet Kudo, Kuno, <laughs> kickboxing. Gaspard, uh, Chad was so good. Uh, that he started fighting like competitive, like tough man contests and winning. He was a prize fighter for the former wrestler Hardbody Harrison, which is just a really weird confluence of events. Um, he started bar fighting against grown ass men when he was a teenager and and beating their asses. Uh, he was his no holds barred record was thirty five and seven. His amateur boxing record is fifty seven and twenty six. It's a shit ton of real life fights. He played all these other sports. He was a real-life bodyguard for people such as Britney Spears, Puff Daddy, and Mike Tyson. And then he goes to train in WWE, and they say, hey, we want to make you put you in a tag team called Crime Time, where, <laughs> where you wear, like, baggy jeans and an A-shirt, and you just, like, joke around about being a thug. Like, how wild is that? That would be like, we signed Brock Lesnar... And here's his gimmick. It's just Hillbilly Jim warmed over. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I'm not saying crazy. like Chad Gaspard was like the next big thing, although like shit, he could have been. I watched like the entire breakup of Crime Time l- last night where they like tried to, they gave him Chad and JTG got different like characters and they, they split up and Chad cut this promo after he like turned on JTG that was really good. And I don't know. It just seems like there's so much they could have done. There's so much more they could have done. My abiding memory of Crime Time is when they cut them. They released them in like in the middle of a feud with like Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch and then like rehired them a year later and brought them back into a feud with Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. I mean, just like the disposability of the tag team ranks has never been clearer. But they had a cup of coffee like teaming up with John Cena. Like they were immensely popular guys. And part of this does kind of put the light of whatever. I mean, like like they were great at what they did. The gimmick was over if a little bit unnecessary. And then they try to kind of pull him out of it and it's all kind of lost, but whatever people love Shad. I mean, he's just like, he's apparently just one of the real true good guys. Um, and, and then the last, I think for a lot of people, well, he, he had that moment where he like stopped a, a gas station robbery and kind of was a, you know, was like a TMZ figure for a while because of that. But, I think my last real uh, like like the, my abiding memory of Shad was him and MVP like hugging on webcam when Kofi won the championship. Like that oh, was it was yeah, like a I huge moment. And um, I don't know, man. It's sad. It's really sad. It's sad as a parent. It's sad as a wrestling fan. Um, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of it. It's, it sounds so fucking corny, but like. A lot of people die and we just do this thing where we say, well, at least he died doing what he loved. If he like died in the line of duty or like whatever. And that's like, you know, a way we make ourselves feel better and that's fine. But like, if you are a parent or if you have people in your life that you love, like 
at least when he died, like the last thing that he saw was his son being saved. Like that's like that is actually and like a really good thing to think about. And as sad as this whole thing is, um, you know, he had a moment of hopefully of just absolute relief, which I think a lot of people can identify with. Anyway, before I start crying on my podcast. <laughs> so speaking of parents, the other big another huge, huge thing that's happened is Becky Lynch uh relinquished the women's championship after much speculation. Uh, is taking a step back from the ring because she is with child. I think that's the scientific term. She's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. We believe it to be Seth Rollins' baby. <laughs> Although in pro in the pro wrestling world, anything could happen. Um, See Mae Young. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. I wonder what would happen if like Vince just insisted on like, not even like storyline, just like told the announcers, told all the on-screen talent like, you have to refer to this child as my love child. And if you don't, you're fired. <laughs> um, anyway, congratulations to, Be- to, to Becky and Seth. That's just fucking awesome. Um, it is really, really talking about emotional. Her, when she got in the ring with no crowd at the performance center and had this whole like drummed up speech just say that the money and we'll talk about money in the bank too i guess the money in the bank briefcase that oscar had won the night before turns out it wasn't for a championship shot it was for the title uh you know we look for these moments of reality in pro wrestling lately there, there have been you know a lot of them weirdly been different weird circumstances than we're used to but to see oscar actually reacting humanly in real time to this news that she was the champion or maybe she had known that. There's some conflicting stories about that, but certainly she didn't know the reason why. Uh, it just, just was an incredible sight to see. I mean, just something, it was just amazing. Um, and yeah, man, usually when we get these announcements, usually when a wrestler, especially a wrestler of Becky Lynch's caliber, gets in the ring with a microphone and relinquishes her title and steps back from her career Usually it's because they have broken necks and they can't wrestle anymore, right? I mean, usually it's because the they, the doctor has told them that they can't, they're not allowed to wrestle. Um, I guess that's kind of technically true here, but this is like good news for a change. You know, it sucks as a wrestling fan and selfishly, right? But like, wow, like that is the best possible version of that news. And the fact that WWE gave her the platform to do it just shows you how, well, I mean, how important she is. Um, and like, I don't know. There's something that's sort of deeply human. And we all know that how much like, we recognize, like we, we associate with Becky Lynch. Like we love her as a performer. Everybody does for the most part. Everybody does just say that. And I don't know. It's like when Ronda Rousey stepped back after her run, there was all this talk that she wanted to start a family. And immediately we were like, people were like working out the calendar, right? It's like, well, if she gets pregnant right away, then like maybe she'll be back for WrestleMania next year or maybe two years from now, the Royal Rumble, whatever. People are like doing the math. I haven't heard anybody doing the math, Becky. And I think that that's an amazing, wonderful thing. Like she'll be back maybe probably someday. Who knows? But right now this is what's really important. And you don't put like a, you don't, there's not, you don't click the stopwatch, you know, when to start the timer, when somebody has a kid and it's awesome. 
and this kid is going to be, you know, world champion someday. So, you know, it's always, always good to look forward to that. Um, I don't know, man. There's so much going on. There's also this Undertaker documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. We got some questions that probably cover a lot of this stuff. We have Money in the Bank. Dark Side of the Rings, too. I've been watching a lot of Dark Side of the Ring. I haven't watched the Owen Hart one. That was that was on last night. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Either. I pushed play. I watched about five minutes, and yeah, I got to be in the mood, man. I know. It's, it's before too you mentioned uh, dying, doing what you love. It's from the uh, Dark Side of the Ring, UWF or Babrams. Uh-huh. That line by the Killer B said he died doing what he loves. Oh man, cocaine and hookers. <laughs> oh man. Is that Jim um, Jim Brunzel or B. Brian Blair? It was Brian Blair, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, I mean they've they've done some they've done some some cool stuff this season. Um, I don't know. I you know I have I have I go back and forth on the show. I think it's like it's. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I started. I enjoy the show a lot more. Um, when. Uh, it was pointed when I sat down to watch it with uh, with my wife with the valet and she said she watched it for about 15 or not even that she watched it like 5 minutes and she was just like oh this is just investigation discovery yeah and I was like oh yeah it absolutely is that's exactly right and it's like yeah yeah I think when you go into it trying to like the music when you, yeah, well, I mean, even behind the music, I think is a little bit far fetched, right? I mean, I think if you go into it expecting too much, inspecting the sort of like real, real documentary style wrestling with death and consequences and everything else, it's tough. It's hard. It, it doesn't always live up to your expectations. But if you modify your expectations and you're like, no, this is just a TV show that's sort of like wallowing in some of these like dark, super dark aspects of the business. It's really effective. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I mean, I, I watched the Benoit two-parter. Uh, Did you watch David Schultz? Mm-hmm. John Stossel, your guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, John Stossel. David Schultz, Dr. D, was has always been a weird fascination of mine. Um there's a lot going on. I mean, I think the thing with David Schultz, David Schultz could have been a, you know, six-parter just in and of himself. Obviously, like Owen could have gone more than one episode. Benoit, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest miss this season was that they made Benoit a two-parter and, it, and didn't, and just sort of shoehorned Eddie into part one. Mm-hmm. And I understand like, Maybe it's a little bit weird to say Eddie's the dark. I don't know if they did, were reluctant to do Eddie as a standalone for whatever reason. But, I mean, Eddie is the real story. And when you, I wrote about this, you know, in my book. And it was the hardest chapter to write. I wrote about them together because they are inextricably linked, just like the Vice thing pointed out. Uh, but Eddie, but like, there's so much more of a story to tell with Eddie. Um, even the dark side of it, you know? I mean, he wrestled himself to death, you know? And, and um, but I just think that there's, I just think, I'm just much more interested in that story. The other story is a great crime, whatever. There's a lot there too, but 
the miss was not focusing more on Eddie or not really giving a, a whole a whole piece to Eddie. But anyway, um, there's a lot. There, there are multitudes contained within Dr. D. David Schultz, and I think what makes him so interesting is that there's no like, there's no easy answers with Dr. D. You know, I and mean, there's not like any like super complicated questions. This is this is not literally life or death like it is with Benoit and his family and everything else. But you know, just like with everything in wrestling, it's easy to we we have these like sort of neat parallels that we draw or like you know whatever everything's a metaphor for something else and there's always been the story that like if that if he hadn't smacked john stossel he might have been roddy piper right and i think that everybody kind of looking back with clear eyes can tell that's probably not the case or at least it wasn't that easy right that he would have found a way to get himself kicked out one way or the other and even then he was already sort of being shuffled down the roster and um you know his level of just sort of like who cares about the whole thing and even in the interviews is probably super healthy, but it also shows that like, you know, it's not like he's he wasn't blackballed off. from the entire industry, you know? He just like lost his good, lost a good job for a stupid reason and then never really, you know, went another direction. Um, obviously, he wrestled after that, but anyway. Just in Japan or he did wrestle here after? When the slap uh, happened, what was that before? WrestleMania one or WrestleMania like three? Wasn't he like left off one of the manias? They had they had said Well, yeah, they kind of gave his in the in the ten rounds of boxing, I think, between Mr. T and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Right. I think that's the one that he was supposed to be in. But anyway, they kind of gave his job to like uh, Cowboy Bob Orton as like Piper's number two. Oh, uh, okay. But all that is really like if you go back to those early days of the WWF. I think there were just a, like a lot of a lot of moving parts. Right. You know, you'll hear like I mean, I've heard from people that that would know that if Vince could didn't sign Hogan, then like they would have done the exact same thing with Paul Orndorff. Like Orndorff would have gotten the Hogan spot and just like shot to the moon, right? First of all, yeah, but he can't do those promos. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that theory, right? Yeah. And there's also like a lot of like, who knows if if, I if could see Savage, well, Savage wasn't there yet. Yeah. Also, by the way, there's that Savage promo. I don't even know where it is in the timeline. Did we? I sent you that, right? The Savage Doctor yeah, D. David Schultz promo <laughs> in Memphis. Amazing. Yeah, I just where like Doctor D's cutting a promo on Jerry. No, no, on Bruiser Brody or Jerry. No, Lawler? on Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler and Bruiser Brody are gonna fight Savage and uh, Doctor D. Doctor D. But he talks and, about and, Lawler. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets on the mic and he's like, the reason why nobody wants to be your partner is because you have AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lance Russell's just like, what? In the background? Yeah. Like, it's like so confusing. And he's also wearing a t-shirt with like a swastika on it. Yes. Like a, a Dr. Unreal. D. David Char Like a, 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 his, I think it's his own t-shirt. Yes, I think it does say Dr. D. Remember? So is it strange. a swastika? It, it's something on it. Dr. D said a lot of... There's a lot of him and Piper too, man. Yeah, there's, there's that of, there's other a, interview you sent me with him and Piper. I forgot what he said in that. That was crazy. No, too. he's talking about there because they were going for the tag team belts against um, against Rocky Johnson and Tony Alice, and oh, Doctor D right. was just like, "We, where I come from, we like whip boys like you." Yeah, um, among other things, he said. What's crazy about that clip, though, also is then they show like it's like just unedited and then Mean Gene like Hulk Hogan comes in and then he like flubs something and walks away and Mean Gene's like, come back and like does the interview again. It's crazy. Yeah. The old school days. Yeah. Well, it's a it was a different time, different place. I think it's. 
I don't even. We don't need to get into the dissertation yeah, about racism and pro wrestling, but that was that's what healing off was back then. You know, I mean, it's like whatever. Pick your. I mean, you. I always say your mileage may vary. I mean, it's like you can go back and find some Piper interviews where he was talking about. I think he said told Mr. T that his lips look like a baseball mitt at one point, and Jesus but then like we, Christ. but then we like think it's funny when he when he knocks out the um snooker. uh superfly snooker with a right. coconut or like we hear the story about him playing the bagpipes in la and mm-hmm. and he says he's gonna play the the mexican national anthem to make up with the guerrero family and played like cucaracha instead right you know heels i mean even back to like whatever like some of the worst stuff just to hear offhanded like the free birds and jyd you know, I mean, they, the free, Michael Hayes did it a lot. I mean, whatever. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, but that was like a way you healed off. That's a, that's a way you played heel back then, man. At least mm-hmm. the only, the only redeeming virtue of the, this entire conversation, I wrote about it in my book too, is that at least the crowds who were probably had some racists in there too could hear, could watch something like that happen and be like, yes, you're a bad guy because you're saying racist stuff. Like, you know, you can make that connection. Um, anyway, and thank Christ we don't do that stuff anymore. I mean, some of the stuff we say now will certainly be deemed inappropriate in the future, but that's the way mm-hmm. it rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Where do we go next? The I passage know, of time. We got death. We got births. We got racism. What else are we going to talk about? Well, if we're going to talk about all the like a long history of wrestling all the way going back to, you know, territories and everything else and death we got to talk about the undertaker is that a good segue yeah i get a gold star for that not bad yeah silver copper yeah the last ride's pretty good huh yep isn't it weird that the last ride is basically like wrestling's the last dance yeah but it's it's called the last ride yeah, but they did that on purpose, right? Or no? I know he has that. What, his, his move's um, the last ride. His like, gentle power bomb is called the last ride. There's literally nothing else you could call this documentary, but Undertaker's the last ride. There is yeah. nothing else. If the last dance never existed, you could get nine million focus groups together, and all every single one of them would just call this documentary the last ride. Anyway, the first episode is really good. Um. Much like the last dance, it does feel like they kind of like rushed it out a little bit. Who knows? Um, the content is all really good. I just wanted more of the old stuff, you know. I just want Undertaker to talk about his life because he's obviously willing to do it. Uh, he was on our boss Bill Simmons podcast today, as we're recording this. Right? Was it this morning it that came they, out they last posted night. it? Oh, last night. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, man. Like every second of it is really, really good. And this is, I mean, first of, I mean, like what, what should we? I mean. What are the highlights of it? He talks about how he sometimes would go for a longer entrance for a match when he knew the match was going to suck. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. I was wondering if people are going to look at all the lengths of his matches and be like, wow, he, he was talking shit about whoever. Yeah, let's just do a, let's just get an Excel spreadsheet going. Exactly. And be like, cross-reference. Well, I think on like Meltzer's thing, can't you just like look at the wrestler and like their lengths of matches? <laughs> I think you can. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it's it's really good. The craziest thing about The Undertaker, and I think we said this when he was on Steve Austin's podcast or his WWE Network show or whatever, is not that he's like open and willing to talk now with seemingly no hesitation, but he's just like really good at it. Like you'd think that someone who just didn't do a lot of press for 30 years would be like, I don't know, maybe not the best conversationalist when you're doing an interview over Zoom with Bill Simmons. <laughs> you know, like... 
that there would be a second where he'd like, well, what do you mean? You know, like whatever, like, you know, there's, he's just so game and so well-spoken and thoughtful. Have you ever met him or interviewed him yourself? Uh, Definitely never interviewed him. I don't think I've ever met him. No, I think I probably would have remembered that. Yeah. Um, you know, Undertaker's been a living legend from the very beginning of my my writing about this stuff. I wrote a Dead Wrestler of the Week about him one time, way back when. That's funny. For I'm sure I read it. No, it was like a it was a I wrote about him. It's in my book too, but it was sort of like everybody I wrote about was dead except for the Undertaker, just because he's like the living, he's the totem of death, right? Right. Um Didn't you do the Ultimate Warrior too? Yeah, that was an April Fool's episode. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good. Everybody really thought he was dead. And the great like thing about times. it was the every the, the best thing about it though is that I've uh was that when I was writing about this, I always hate to make myself sound old or to sound like I'm what what is the what's the Arn Anderson phrase? I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot. Like you know, we, we were doing the we were doing Dark Side of the Ring on Deadspin, mm-hmm. oh, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, mm. more fifteen. No, really? I think so, man. I've been in LA for ten. Yeah, it's been about fifteen years because I worked at oh, that fuck. advertising this company, shows you and I used to read it every week. Weirdly enough, now I'm sitting here talking to you. Well, it was never really quarantine. weekly, but thank you. Whatever the thank hell. You, thank was. you for thinking so highly of me. I remember all the YouTube embedded is. clips and then sometimes I'd go back and then the YouTube clip would have been taken down and it's just like the black square that says this clip is gone. I'm like, It's amazing. It. A lot of them went down, but then like yeah. a lot of them are still up. I go back and look at that stuff and it's like the, the YouTube links are weirdly holding up better than like the HTML. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that you always included those like pre-WWF like, you know, Blade Runner rock or whatever the hell his name was, Ultimate Warrior in his and just seeing oh, that yeah, old stuff. Off. I think I think if you did the Undertaker one, yeah, you probably had that like old Mark Calloway stuff or whenever he was uh what was he called? Mean um, Mark. I remember mean, when it was Mean Mark Callis. No, but even before that in Texas, oh, he's like he was the red, red uh something. red spoiler red tornado. He was he worked, he was under the spoiler. He tra- was trained by the yeah. spoiler. He was like the red how yeah. was it? But was I remember it you tornado? had that clip in there. Is there any um, like clips of him playing basketball anywhere? Oh, Texas like Red. That. that was his name for a while. Right. But he but he might have played the, I think he did work as the spoiler for a while. Well, yeah. who knows? Man, he's a he's a he was a beast. It's really weird. And this kind of goes for I mean, Undertaker's obviously a giant, I mean a big dude, but like one of the one of the stupid conversations that wrestling fans will have go go to WrestleMania weekend and go like to any bar after one of the events and you will find drunk wrestling fans arguing about things such as what is does the is the Undertaker a giant? What is your what's your opinion, Jim? Is the Undertaker a giant? Yeah, I'd say so. I say no because there's nothing. I'd say if he were four inches shorter, it would have been slightly less cool. But nothing about the gimmick needed to change. He did work a slow, methodical style, but yeah. But he was how tall is he? No, nah, you're right. I mean, he was. He did. I he mean, did work giant in, in WA. I just don't count him as a giant. I think if you're if you're a giant, your gimmick is a giant. Is Vader a giant? Know. Vader's a big man. There's a difference. Big man and giant um, are different things. So what's a giant? Andre, King Kong, Bundy, whatever the hell his name is. Bundy. Yeah. I mean, I guess the way I'm defining it, there's not that is many. Giant giants. Gonzalez a giant? For sure. Oh. Oh, the <laughs> big Show. Yeah. 
who is really well spoken in the Undertaker documentary. Hey, this is Brian Koppelman. And this is David Levine. We are the showrunners and co-creators of Billions. And this is... Behind the Billions. Behind the Billions. We're going to talk about how we make the show, the decisions we made in terms of uh, what we decided to shoot, how we wrote it. We are going to share the inside skinny on what it's like to make the show. Uh, Dave, I'm sorry I just said inside skinny. You did. I mean, you've set the bar high. We have a lot to provide now. And we will be providing it on Sunday nights right after the show. We'll have guests who are actors on the show will come in and talk to us, people who make cameos on the show. Should we interview crew members, too? Well, we're going to talk about some crew members, maybe standout crew members, superstars, crew superstars, if you will. Really psyched to do this, psyched to talk to everybody about the show. Listen in on Sunday nights right after the show airs on Showtime. You know, we've talked about this before. I'm sure I've said it on the show, but one of my greatest regrets in life is that I didn't try to, it didn't, I didn't succeed in convincing Jason Hare, who directed The Last Dance, but also the Andre documentary and Bill, just to put the big show in for like one talking, like one bit, just to have him say one thing about Andre the Giant and have him identified in the Chiron as Andre's son. Yeah, like that would have been the greatest moment in the history of documentary filming. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you said you were going to wear a toupee, which would have been hilarious, too. Well, now I'm like growing out the back. I can actually pull off the toupee now. Wearing so a toupee. Funny. that's On the that's, dock would have been so good. Well, Bill took Bill <laughs> pulled me aside and had a talk with me before we went on, before we recorded. And he was just like, listen, you can wear whatever you want. But like this is going to be around for a long time. So you got to decide if you want to be a dude who wears a wrestling T-shirt. Mm-hmm when your kids see this in 10 years, you know, or if you want to be like a professional. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, or put on my suit coat and whatever, my blazer and a button down. And um, I remember seeing you right before you were walking in. I was like, oh, job interview. Where the hell are you going? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, It was not a job interview. Well, not literally. Um, But yeah, so it's fun. It's fun to play dress up every once in a while, especially when you're in a world of, uh, pajama i mean of like sweatpants that we all live in right now <laughs> nice to think about it. i'm gonna start putting on a suit just to like get my shit together in the morning but um what was the point of that oh yeah if i had put on the if i had done like the suit button down shirt and then just rolled in and a toupee i when i told bill he, he thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard but just like <laughs> like i uh, like i really want to look good because you know it's like not it's not unusual for people to, like show up for that it, it wouldn't have been weird if i had like put in contacts for the first time in five years right some people just yeah. like you want to look a certain way when you're being preserved for history if i show up with a with a toupee it would have been the best i probably they probably <laughs> would have been worried about my sanity justifiably but like that that would be great that would be um nice. anyway uh, the Undertaker doc is really good. Like I said, the first part especially. All of the, the all of the interviews he's done, he repeated part of my take. Like I said, at Austin, he's done a bunch of stuff. Um, Bill's podcast is by far the best. Like that, and yeah. um, but Sorry. it's it's really good, man. There's nothing more interesting than the Undertaker, and it's really weird that like you look at uh, parallel Michael Jordan and uh, an Undertaker. There's a lot of parallels there. You know, with wrestling, it's impossible to say the best of all time, you know, or at least to get to like a consensus that anyone is comfortable with, you know. Um, but it's funny because with the, the last dance, Michael Jordan, 
I don't think we learned a whole lot of stuff that was new and probably the same for the wrestling fans and the undertaker, but like they did sort of, I think what the last dance was able to do is just sort of it, like, like we talked about in the press box, like Ryan said, it was like Michael Jordan's official memoir, right? Like, yeah. And it, it sort of just preserved all this stuff that people my age know, um, but like preserved it for history. I think with the undertaker, it's weirdly, Let's just say this. I don't think anybody watched The Last Dance and came away thinking Michael Jordan, and if you were aware of Michael Jordan, nobody was like, oh, he really was the best of all time, right? I mean, I think you kind of, you know, you went in with some with some idea of Michael Jordan was and probably were had that opinion confirmed, right? Yeah. Um, unless you just had no idea, unless he was only a meme to you, you know? Right. I think The Undertaker, The Undertaker is, I mean, I came away feeling like he's more, He's closer to the top of the list than I went in thinking. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I was thinking that also because somebody said, um, you know, he, you're one of the best, like one of the greatest of all time or whatever. And I know we've been asked that, like you've been asked that uh, Mount Rushmore question a lot. And like the other, another thing you'll find wrestling nerds arguing about drunkenly in a bar. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, and I was thinking about it. He really is. You know what was? Uh, who else also really earned my respect? And from that last ride, I've never been a big fan of Triple H's. Like I always liked him. I liked certain things he did, but for some reason, he just never really connected with me so much. Like I liked my, uh, HBK more, like just like mm-hmm. mood set wise and things. And I know people like love Triple H, and um, but when they showed the Undertaker when he lost his confidence. Oh yeah. Between those two WrestleManias and he uh-huh. they could tell he was like shook up before that one and Triple H came over to him and he's like, Show them who the fuck you are, you're the fucking Undertaker, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. I was yeah. like, Oh, Triple H is the fucking man, dude. <laughs> yeah. That was really impressive. Yeah. I mean Triple H is a really good, you know, sort of sporadic presence through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um It is weird. I'm like a- randomly I'm like, oh, like Stone Cold just pops up and it's like twenty minutes in. You know, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, nice. All these yeah, and things. there's also the thing where I mean, there's oh, speaking of Triple H, by the way, there's a there's a teaser for the episode three where they're talking about the Saudi Arabia match with Kane and the Undertaker versus Sean and oh. Triple H, and uh-huh. and Triple H is like laughing. He's like everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong in that match. Yeah, um, Kane's hair falling off. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, so much, so it's much. Really, wrong. It's really good though. I I can't believe how many surgeries he's had and all that. Got wow. a little graphic with the surgeries too, by the way. It was a little too much. I didn't need to say. It was that. a lot. I was like, Ooh. But I like how they hit on like the basically the theme of the, I mean, the theme of the show is basically just like Undertaker can't have his last match. Remember, we've talked about this so many times, but like when we interviewed AJ Styles back in the day, I remember I asked him, I don't even remember if this was on the air or off, but I asked him how he because he had talked about when he was going to retire in vague ways and i was just like yeah i mean you say this like it's like a date and time but like if you just keep going forever eventually you're gonna be forced out no i mean eventually you're gonna do like the springboard off the top rope and you're gonna miss mm-hmm. right i mean isn't that like you like you can't yeah. like right. that's how if you keep pushing it like that's how a person knows they're i mean and it's not you know this isn't the jerry the king lawler move set if you're a guy like aj styles Obviously, it's more complicated than that, and you he probably knows exactly how far he is, how much space he has over the rope every single time, and like he'll feel it when it's close, and blah blah blah. But you know, you do start walking this fine line. Um, and with the Undertaker, they kind of hit on that really early, right? Where he's just like, he keeps coming back because he doesn't know how to call it quits, 
And there's this vicious cycle where it's like if he has a terrible match, he has to come back for another match to redeem himself. And if he can come, if he has a good match, then it's like fuck yeah, I got a few more left in me. Like yeah. there's no way that go that unless he has a huge change of heart or unless Vince says you can't go anymore, that mm. he's going to retire. And that's what's most compelling about this whole thing. And we go to Michelle McCool every thirty minutes in the documentary, and she's just like, here it goes again. Yeah, if Vince needs him, he's going to do it. I understand why they were saying, you know, like to do one match a year was really hard. Yeah. You know, timing wise and ring rust and all that. I understand that. But do you think there had to be like a part of some wrestlers busting their asses out there who are kind of like, oh, come on, man. Or at least. No, it's not that bad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, or even like Lesnar. What does Lesnar fight? Like once every two or three months. How many fights does he Mm -hmm. have a year? Four. Um, yeah, I just thought it was just kind of weird because like people always like kill Brock for the uh, his schedule. I mean, I know the Undertaker earned it, and plus physically he can't do it anyway. Well, Brock's like, not because, Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. But um, I do just wonder if parts like I agree with it, but I do just wonder. I could see people being like, "Man, once a year wouldn't wouldn't be the worst." Yeah, I yeah. I mean, it's it's. I just can't. I just think well, it's, now that it's I guess the now way that, that we the, do mass man show once a year, um, we'll see what it, how this it is works the, out. This, <laughs> every single every single, every word I say stings in a way that it's never stung before. Um, pod rust, pod rust. <laughs> Listen, man. I mean, a lot of people are out there doing podcasts. You don't you don't understand how hard this is. Like the the real difficulty is trying to come back and have the best pod of the week after taking so much time off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's keeping it's doing the pod on a weekly or biweekly basis that really just like, you know, staves off the pod rust and, and pod rust is a real thing. And now doing it where there's no fans allowed while we're doing the pod. It's just really, really weird. It's a different so, world. If you, so, so, so we see. So, yeah, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night Smackdown, NXT, NXT weirdly seems impervious to it. AEW's somewhere in between. But there's no crowd wrestling is super weird. I know this week. Watching Raw was maybe the first time where I was sort of a little bit oblivious to it. Maybe they've changed the filming techniques a little bit, or maybe I'm just giving myself over. But um, it did seem like there were a couple of moments on Raw. One, with the way they were just hugging Seth's face during his promo. There was a one point where somebody went over the top rope. Was it Carrillo? Somebody just did a top rope kind of plancha thing, and the camera was just underneath him. Like there was, it was, you know, they were doing. They're the point is they were smartly doing shots that could not have exist. I mean, that you could not have seen a fan if there had been fans there, right? I mean, they're making it seem like just hugging it so tight, making the shots feel really essential. Um, I don't know. Three hours is still a really long time for a show now. I mean, without any sort of you know fluff attached, or at least without minus a lot of the fluff. Um. But I got to tell you, man, like I'm I'm in on Drew as champ. Uh, I'm in on Seth. I'm in on this, that whatever he's got going on as, um, you know, his kind of he, the Messiah thing was great. And then he sort of has evolved into this like Joseph Seed. Well, Joseph, what is, is that's the name? Joseph Seed from Fallout or Far Cry. Sorry. Is, like he's a I mean, just he's he's just such a cool character now. And he looks different. I mean, the whole thing is so... He's very, very good. And, you know, 
there's moments where you see him and it's like it feels like you're watching a play because of the the set that it's on and you know watching from home but i don't know man i'm 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 in on it there's there's a lot of fun stuff going on um well it's nice to see i'll say this it's nice to see oscar get the belt because she's one of the few people who and the, the two guys i mentioned before who have excelled in this new environment so we always say the belts aren't real but they matter right and they're actually a reflection of success not in the same way that a boxing championship is or whatever but like there is a reflection of success and in this case it's reflecting the success of this weird coronavirus period but anyway what were you going to say on the press box you and brian spoke about the possibility of like the nfl piping in the crowd you know oh yeah and you brought up how like people have pointed out with the wwf you know they'll they'll do the same thing but why aren't they doing it if anyone was going to do it now with the no crowds? I would have thought the WWF would have, WWE would have tried it sooner. To pipe in crowd noise? Yeah. And would it be within the arena or would they just do it in post? Oof. I bet they've tried it in post. I bet they've tried it to see how it sounds. And it was so, just so, weird. So, so it's probably safe to say it sounds terrible. I'm surprised they haven't done it. But like you said on the show, like they do it in video games and people don't. I mean, I don't know. I think there's two different things. I think that there's this, we talked about this in the, on the press box for sure, but there's a, there's a, there are two different issues. One is ambient crowd noise and one is like, like juicing the crowd noise, right? And, and the juicing the noise, piping in cheers and booze in wrestling has been a real thing that has happened over the past 20 years, right? So I think there's a, I'm sure there's some hesitation to do it because if you see those two things as the same, then it's sort of like breaking kayfabe. You know, this is a TV show now, right? So should we have the whole WWE roster come out and take a bow at the end of every episode? Well, no, because it's still breaking kayfabe, right? And to sort of acknowledge this, like, trick of the trade, you know, I don't think you're going to, like, see guys do anything else. I mean, you know, I, 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 sh- I, don't, I, I think that, that might be a hesitation. You know, we don't want to pipe in crowd noise because we don't want to give anyone any more reason to say this is fake. We're so sensitive about that. Yeah. No, but but also I think that they probably tried it. It doesn't sound great. I mean, I think that the, I just think that I'm I would be I'm surprised. I think that there's some ambient noise that would be totally fine. No, and I said this before WrestleMania that I think everybody would be okay with, and it just would, it helps the way that you watch it. But uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a tough call. It's an impossible. It's an impossible thing. And I think they probably also wanted to. to at first, they probably wanted to innovate as as minimally as possible because they were, you know, hoping it would everything would go back to normal soon. You know, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be it would be disappointing, I guess, if this lasts for a long time and we didn't end up with a blueprint for how to do a, 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 a audience free show, right? I mean, this is your chance to yeah, innovate. It is this helping, is your chance yeah. to see the future because, like, like why not? You know. Why not? I have a suggestion for them. Go. What if from the front row of the arena, the seats where the um, fans would be, you know, Mm -hmm. if they had like green screen, like cloth that went up like that, they Mm -hmm. could green screen in people like a video game like that or whatever, almost like a reverse planetarium, how that is, you know, it's almost like goes like that. And then it would look like people were in the crowd. If you would put that in, it's almost like at an angle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 let's do it. I mean, that's the that's thing. It's like they, they could they could do that, but it might look weird and stupid. But just an idea. 
I wonder if they tinkered with that at all. I think I know somebody on the WWE video team. I just I think reach it's, out uh, to that guy. Yeah, I just think it's. I, I think. I mean, they're in a tough spot, you know, and mm. they've been doing a good job of telling stories. Um, it is sort of shocking, I think, to everybody that like WWE has this live content. They just got paid shit tons of money from the two networks to provide live content every week. They're like the only sport in town, or they were, and the ratings are still going down. It's just weird. And you watched UFC, right? Mm-hmm. It was interesting how it kind of worked for that, though. How it worked for them? Yeah, with no crowd. Well, it was just... It's I mean, it's just totally different, but you could just hear those hits and stuff like that, like realism. It's like, ugh. They do. Yeah, they're, I mean, as, as similar as the two things are, um, it's a tad different. Yeah, and the UFC, it's like, and the UFC, they want to, like, they're probably, like, on, the, on a regular basis, like, they're probably turning, like, they, they're minimizing crowd noise. Like, they want the ambient crowd noise, they want the cheers at the big moments and everything else. But it's much more important to them that you hear things that actually happen inside the cage, right? They want people to like to, they want you to hear the punches. They want you to hear the, like, whatever else. They want you to hear the, it was nuts. They want you to hear the announcers and the coaches and everything like that. Like, they're actually, like, they kind of have a rev- an inverse um, objective as far yeah. as sound mixing goes. So they could do, I mean, but then, you know, they would be better. I mean, I, I think everybody likes the crowd feel for them too, but I, I just don't think on a, I, I think it's just so, impossible to separate i mean i've written about this a million times i wrote this about this at grantland the crowd is an integral part of pro wrestling it just is it just is from the very basic wrestling 101 like you're not a you're not a baby no matter what the promoter says you're not a baby face unless the crowd cheers for you right you're not a heel unless the crowd boos you that's what wrestling is it's in it's it's inextricable and you can do wrestling on a closed set. Like, you can do this. This is fine. It's not like what we're watching is not professional wrestling, but I just think something so important is lost. It's not sports entertainment. I mean, it is, but it's just not. It's just not. It's, it's just not different. the same. It's not the same. Yeah, and I weird. think even a casual fan, I mean, the reason why we've been tuned into wrestling on a weekly basis for so long, and it's more and more every year, is for better or worse to see how the crowd will react to what's going on in the ring, right? Like, if you watched, if the Royal Rumble, if they had the Royal Rumble next week and every entrant was a jaw-dropping surprise, you know, if like entrant number, like, like you know, entrant number one is like, one and two are like Gallows and Anderson. Like, holy fuck, aren't they fired? And then like, you know, go on down the line, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Okada comes out at number six and like Cody Rhodes comes out at number 10. If everybody that comes out is a bigger shock than the last one, and yet there's no crowd and you're just watching it home by yourself. It's not going to be that exciting. I mean, it will be exciting, but yeah, it's that, not going to be the, the, having those AEW guys. That would be crazy. But uh, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, it's just not the same as like having the live crowd like, wow, there's nothing. Like it's that. just like how it's not the same watching at home as being there and smelling the B.O. of all those people. You know, that's true. Too. You. It's part of the experience, man. <laughs> um. But yeah, so it's been it's been a, it's been a wild ride. But Raw's been really good. AEW's been really good. Um, I've enjoyed NXT. I feel like NXT, like I said, feels like the least different. Um, and we haven't even, I guess, talked about a lot of the post WrestleMania stuff, or like the you know the stuff that would have been Takeover. Um, Gargano and Ciampa was just like a fucking masterpiece, man. 
the place where I'm staying, there's a there's a spot in, there's a Gargano's Pizza down the I mean in town, and I was just like, wait, the, Johnny Gargano's dad has a pizza place, but it's in Ohio, so I always oh, forget really? he's one of the Ohio can't guys. Can't be that far yeah. from Ohio though. Yeah, maybe it's a relation, another Gargano. But anyway, um, but yeah, he's it's a uh, it's it, what they're doing is it's very very strange. Um, do you want to talk about all these people that got released since I just talked about Gallows and Anderson? Sure. All right, so like a million people got laid off, right? This was a big thing that we totally missed. Kurt Angle, Rusev, uh, Drake Maverick, a.k.a. Rockstar Spud, Anderson and Gallows, uh, Eric Young. I totally missed Eric Young. Damn. Uh, EC3, Kurt Hawkins, Zack Ryder, Leo Rush, Heath Slater, uh, Aiden English. Uh, I don't even know if this list is. Is this list right? Eric Rowan is definitely out. The Cologne, uh, Primo and Epico, Mike Chioda, which is really shocking. Mike and Maria Canellis. I love that it's Mike and Maria Canellis. Like their official name is not, is like, <laughs> is Maria's last name. It's Mike Bennett and Maria Canellis. Uh, no Way Jose. Man, he just got shafted. Um, Cassius Ono, uh, aka uh, Chris Hero, who's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, God, who else? Look at this list. Tino Sabatelli, Curtis Axel. Man, how do you not? Like, like, I understand. I understand, as terrible as it sounds, having a great wrestler on the roster and not using them, right? Or using them for house shows and nothing else. I understand how you can be complacent like that, right? Yeah. I don't understand, like, when the nut cutting time or whatever you want to say when it like comes down to the wire we were like okay which one of these guys are we going to fire can't you, i mean how do you have whoever who pick your name i mean rusev i guess is probably most the t- most people's top of the list of this list of cuts and not just be like all right fuck don't cut him let's, let's do the thing with him that we've been promising ourselves we're going to do forever right how do you sign anderson gallows to like half million dollar contracts and then, like, when the time, when, when, like, the, like, six months later, just be like, yeah, they're cut. Like, what was your plan? Well, your plan was to just keep everybody off the open market, I guess. The other thing that most people, I don't think, weirdly has not been commented on at all is that WWE also laid off like hundreds of their office staff by text message. I know that came out with Rusev today that you got a text to call the office, but like, they're furloughed, not just the producers, not just the microtundas of the world. Like people that work in Stanford, like regular ass folk who probably don't make enough money to take, you know, four months off and can't go looking for jobs right now and everything else. Um, you know, they'll probably rehire them. But it's just a wacky world we live in, man. We're like, not only is that seem to be okay, it seen as okay, like be, because of that's how business works. You have people have just like kids on Reddit who are saying like, if you don't, if you think WWE's doing something wrong, you don't know how business works. It's like, yeah, I'm very, I'm familiar with like fucking like publicly traded companies. I'm familiar. I understand how business works. Business is not a separate business is inextricable from humanity. And if you don't see that, then that's your problem. It's just nuts, man. WWE's going to have their most profitable year ever in 2020 if they don't run a house show for the rest of the year. This is going to be their most profitable year regardless. And they're just going to fire everybody. Or furlough everybody. Or release everybody and hope they're still there when it comes time to sign them again. 
I mean, the way to look at this, obviously, from from the the part that most wrestling fans know about, the talent that was let go and the road agents that were let go, is they let go of their house show team, right? I mean, there's some different people. There's there's more to it than that. But like, they know they're not going to be running shows for a while. So we're just not going to keep employing all those people that like their main job was to hold down, you know, the Friday show in Topeka. And that's fine. That's a change of a business model and whatever else. And they're paying these people for 90 days, you know, whether they're non-competes, they're paying out part of their contract. And there are a lot of them are getting paid really well and have been paid really well for a long time. But it's weird. You, the lot, you can make the, you can, the lot, you, it's, you can make the argument about furloughing people or asking people to take pay cuts and whatever. And I don't agree with it, but okay, you can say that's a political conversation and whatever. It doesn't, I mean, this is a time of crisis and blah, blah, blah belt tightening and whatever other shitty thing you want to say. Fine, 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 fine. But if you're going to have your most profitable year ever, like, maybe you just have a, I don't know, maybe let's have this conversation down the road. You know, like, after everybody gets through this fucking pandemic that's affecting everybody. Maybe maybe, maybe reevaluate your, uh, your business model after all these people that you call family are out of the clear or in the clear or whatever else. Hadn't WCW done away with uh, house shows long ago? Didn't uh, they during the Nitro days? Didn't they just stop doing house shows? So just did Nitros and live shows. Well, they never. And, made, like, I mean, they, they had a really hard time. And one of the biggest problems with them, I think, this is I'm probably gonna muff this somehow. But they weren't making the they weren't making money off of they weren't making the w the same money that WWE would off off of house shows because they were having to pay more to run the venues and they just didn't have the same infrastructure in place. Um. And listen, house shows are a smaller and smaller part of the company. At this point, I mean, I've talked, been talking about this when it comes to talking about giving wrestlers off seasons, you know, time off, etc. Um, one of the arguments against that has been the house shows and the money that they make because you can't give people, you know, they still need a huge roster to run to be running all these live events and it's a smaller and smaller piece of the pie. They don't need to be doing it to be profitable. But it's kind of hard to say no thanks to the amount of to, to that level amount of money, even if it's not even if it's a smaller and smaller piece of your annual profit. Um, but yeah, it's a it's um it's still a big part of the business model, even if you're not making a bunch of money. That's still that's still physical. That's still marketing, right? It still keeps the kids in Topeka invested in the product. So, um, it's tough, man. It's tough to see all these people get laid off. There's and it's. You know, it's tough, especially because like everybody's suffering now, right? I mean, there's a there's probably a version of events where like if WWE had laid all these people off, like AEW would have signed half of them, but they're not trying to sign the world right now either. So, you know, it's tough. Shall we get into these Twitter questions or? Yeah, this isn't Twitter questions before we get out of here. Okay, Daddy Kleinbucks asks. How would you book Cody challenging for the AEW world title while keeping him face? Cody Rhodes is in a really tough spot. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that there's no easy. Nothing. There's no easy answers when it comes to, you know, Cody's like face heel alignment and everything else, because it's a certain, a certain sort of reality. I mean, he's a baby face. He's in all these face feuds, although he, you know, he does feud. He has feuded with some baby faces, too. Um, but he's also the boss, which is not a very face thing. He also has all these entrances that are like him and his wife and his dog and like, you know, these gigantic Triple H style productions when he comes in, not exactly baby face material. 
um, and Arn Anderson. Uh, I mean, you know, these questions, fantasy booking questions are tough because you all, I mean, it's, you kind of go to the basics, right? I mean, it's really like, it's tempting just to be like, Cody leaves all that shit behind, you know? Uh, I think that, I think it's really tough to book the owner, one of the owners, one of the bosses as an underdog. And that makes the baby face thing tough. Um, I, and I, it's hard to fantasy book one. It's honestly hard to fantasy book Cody without doing some work shooty like boss thing. Um, even, even if you're booking him as a baby face, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, I don't think it would be, I don't know the answer to how to keep him as a baby face and book him to the top. I'll tell you what I would do though. I would not do like Cody versus Brody Lee and the dark order. I think that would just be a recipe for disaster. I wouldn't mind them doing Cody versus Moxley. Um, let Moxley retain a double or nothing somehow write Cody into the top and then be willing to let Cody be the heel in the feud. Um, but just explore both directions. Explore Cody as the heel, like in the context of the feud, and Johnny Moxley as the feud. I mean, as the heel, and then, and then, you know, if you're gonna, if you're intent on Cody being, if you're intent on Cody being a babyface, I think you got to leave yourself open to Cody being the heel. I guess that's what I'm trying to say: is that let 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 Cody go in there against Moxley and let him get booed and let him make the come back in the storyline let him let make him get him let him earn the crowd's respect you know and let and let and contrastingly let uh moxley lose it but i think that you got to put cody i think you got to do what wwe's been afraid to do with roman reigns for so long i think you got to put cody in the position to fail for him to succeed really really succeed and let that be the story let the story kind of write itself i know that's all super vague but anyway what's your prediction for the ninth man in the ladder match at double or nothing I like all the people that they have announced for the match so far. It's a little bit like, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways they could go with it, right? Because um, you could kind of do an in-house thing. You could do, you know, uh, Pineapple Pete, you know? <laughs> I, mean, you, I mean, you could Jeff Cobb, who's been there before. There are a lot of ways that you can do, like, small like low wattage things and the, and the lineup is cool and I'm, I like all the dudes that are in it, but it's not exactly like, you know, the big, like an ex champions money in the bank ladder match. Um, and now with all these WWE releases, it's like, they're going to be disappointed if it's anybody that isn't, you know, Zack Ryder. Um, Rusev. Zack Ryder, Rusev. I mean, what are the, what are the, the absolutely peak of WWE releases? Um, Mike Kyoto. Yeah, exactly. Mike Kyoto would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> what did you say? That oh, I forgot. Someone, I'm just glancing at Someone says Brian Cage, which is interesting because he's always been, I mean, he's definitely going there and or that was the talk and and um, that's still a little bit up in the air because he got injured. Um, okay. People who, people who people would actually care about from WWE would be, I mean, care about the most would be Zack Ryder, Rusev, and then there's the sort of like indie cred level of like Chris Hero and well, Drew Gulak, who may or may not still be a WWE employee, there's a little bit up. That's a little bit up in the air too. His contract just expired. He wasn't part of the cuts. Um, 
and they were apparently negotiating it or working on vaguely working on a new one. Um, the word I heard was that he was expecting to get a raise, uh, and WWE was like, "No, we're just not doing raises right now," and so his contract just ran out. So who knows? It'd be cool if it was Drake Maverick. Yeah, Drake Maverick would be a cool one too. Um, After all the shit WWE put him through, I don't know. Chris Hero f- feels like a good one here, oh, but that'd I, be good. I did not talk to Chris yeah. Hero. Uh, but it feels like I don't know it's also it's like this is I don't know Chris Hero or Zack Ryder feels like right to me but who knows who knows who knows oh yeah Zack Ryder won that ladder match right WrestleMania or SummerSlam or whatever that was the king of the ladder match when he won that nice title uh yeah yeah Sting Sting's another one there's been AEW's rumors floating around really yeah that'd be awesome All right. um which next generation baby do you think will make the best wrestler or character? Seth and Becky's, Daniel Bryan and Breeze, Mike and Maria's, Miz and Maurice, others. Whew. I mean, I feel like Miz and Maurice is going to have the highest likelihood of being like they. But they have two daughters, right? I'm not sure. Wouldn't it be Triple H and Stephanie's? Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, listen, they only have girls too. I think, which is not a, obviously in their direction we're going. It's not that big of a deal, but like, you know, one of Shane's sons could be world champion within the next like five yeah, years. For, you know? <laughs> um, God, I have no idea. It's wild that everybody on that list, all these babies in the list, have much better odds than like Scott Hall's son, who's like six six and jacked. <laughs> Right. The Rock's daughter, who's already signed um, too. Well, The Rock's daughter is there. I mean, but if are we talking about, we're talking about no, people who they said, yeah, both, mother yeah, and yeah. father mm-hmm. are right. wrestlers. Whew. Um, Just waiting for Aleister Black and uh, Zelina Vega. Yeah. Yeah. They should have booked some. They, they should. Why, why have they never tried to book somebody as like the love child of like Hogan and Wendy Richter? That's pretty good. You know, I mean, like that'd be a, you could, I would, I would buy into that. Roman Reigns, or the love child of like Macho Man and Sensational Queen Sherry, the the Dark Prince. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, Prince Joffrey. Yeah, exactly. The Joffrey of <laughs> WWE. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, there no, there's. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, honestly, it's probably gonna be. I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, you think you know Seth and Becky's kid is going to grow up with an incredible passion for the for the sport, but it's always the kids who like the parents won't let them do it. Right? You can imagine Miz and Maurice just being like, "Girls, you don't get to be wrestlers," and then one of them just being like, "I'll show them," and like you know starts going to like wrestling school in secret. Um, who knows? Who knows? This is a crazy question. Yeah. All right, back to I think you know you know what I think. I know that it's not two wrestling parents, but I really feel like. I really feel like Ric Flair's daughter, Ashley, uh, is going to be big. She'll be all right. Yeah, she yeah. might be. All right. What was your favorite part of the corporate ladder money in the bank match? Ooh. I mean, the bit in the Vince's office was good. I was very enthralled by the fact that I feel like I knew I could imagine Vince's office in my head. I've never been in Vince's office, but I did not expect 
it to be so brightly lit. Maybe that was just a camera thing because all the pictures that you see of him that when we did the, when he, they film for documentaries, it's always dark in there. When they do the photos, whatever, it's always dark in there. But the, um, uh, I did not expect, I did not expect to be surprised by his office. And I was surprised by the fact that his, that his office furniture was a conference, a small conference table. And then against the wall, a very small letter writing desk. Did you, did you catch that? That like, Mm -hmm. I've always thought that I've always thought, why not just, why, why is your, why is your desk not a conference table? Cause what the fuck? Like you don't need, like every time you walk into your boss's office, and you're and they're like, oh, yeah, what, can we go to the conference room? You know, and you're just like, why isn't this the conference room? It doesn't make any sense. Like you could right. use, you know, it, that was brilliant. But then also that he had he had a little turnaround little secretary where he could jot his little his, his personal letters. It was really cute. Um, that or you know, Alistair Black and Rey Mysterio getting thrown off the roof to their certain death. <laughs> the best part of the whole thing was Baron Corbin having to explain. Clearly, because of whatever some legal implication, they didn't murder anyone. They put out a press release almost immediately, or whatever a tweet that was just like they landed on a secondary roof. They're okay. They're gonna wrestle tomorrow. No big deal. But then they had Baron Corbin show up on Raw after both guys had already been revealed to be fine. They had Baron Corbin show up on Raw to say the same thing out loud, just to make it really clear that he knew he wasn't murdering someone. I thought that that was that was the highlight of the whole night. I wonder if there were fantastic. people. I wonder if there were people out there, like much like myself, who after witnessing what they thought was a murder, just turned it off and never watched again. So they didn't even get to hear the explanation. Totally possible. Maybe just with the dark side of the ring thing going, they just couldn't get too, <laughs> couldn't get too, <laughs> just too you know, much. loose with that stuff. That would be. It would be a much better character move if Baron Corbin just like actually thought he killed them. Did not kill them, but thought he did. And then, like, was scared that they were ghosts haunting him for the rest yeah. of his career. And that the cops were just, at all times, <laughs> yeah, watching him. Just, that'd be so great. No, if, like, every time Rey Mysterio, like, walks past. Oh, yeah. Baron Corbin screams and hides. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Just like, like ah, God, yeah, I thought I killed behind you. garbage cans and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Rey Mysterio is just like, dude. I'm not dead. It's a wrestling. And he's like, ah, just screaming. I, yeah, that's that's the that's how I would book it. <laughs> Do you feel Raw has been the best WWE show since we've had no fans? Oh, of all of the no fan shows? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make a case for Raw. I, I do think, I mean, like I said, NXT has felt the most seamless to me for some reason, but maybe it's I'm crazy. Um, I put Raw over SmackDown. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird time to be. I mean, no one is. No one has transcended the form, right? No one has figured out how to do uh, the boneyard match for two hours, three hours every week, and have me compelled. Which wrestler has had the most success without any fans there? Oscar uh, is obviously up there. Um, I think that Drew is going to emerge from this with some grudging respect. If WWE doesn't blame the ratings on him, as then they definitely should not. I think Drew is going to be seen as. I think Drew is going to come out a net positive from this whole thing. Mm. Uh, I think fans are just like he's doing a great job, given that he is. You know, we all love the real life underdog story, and this is like the big. This is like him winning the championship and then being forced to feud with like, you know, like the Repo Man for six months. Right. 
So I think that we're all going to, I think that people, you know, it's people. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that he's going to, I mean, he's been doing really well. I mean, I think he's been, um, his performance has been great and he's been, he's adapted really well, but I think that he's going to emerge stronger for it. Same with Oscar. I don't, I mean, um, Jericho though. I mean, Jericho may, may be excelling more than anybody else. I mean, he was just made to be, an announcer slash wrestler in an empty arena. I mean, he's freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. I love him popping up in the Undertaker doc too. By the way, he was great on there. He's like eighty yards. He's he's got apple in his mouth. And he, he did Undertaker. some interviews too. He was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I saw them all these cameras following him around. I was like, what are we filming a documentary called The Last Ride? <laughs> <laughs> like this super self aware like fourth wall breaking moment in the whole thing. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's keep rolling. All right. Speaking of the Last Dance. If you could get one current NBA player to skip a finals practice to be in wrestling, who would it be and how would you book them? Oh, so in this man. scenario, anybody could be in the NBA finals. It's just a current NBA player, basically. Who would you get? I mean, you want to go... I mean, there's people who would be like, I think, really natural wrestling heels. I mean, just get a big reaction. You know, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James Harden... Um, I don't mean to like rag on Houston fans too much. Uh, let's see, LeBron, man. I mean, LeBron's too easy. I, I wanted monster. to. I, I didn't want to like jump on him at the beginning. I mean, I, also LeBron would probably not. I think people would be fine with him taking a practice off too. <laughs> part yeah. of the big heel, part of the heel heat is like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm like neglecting my duties. Yeah, but what if he was um, doing like moon salts off the top rope? out to the floor just like going crazy <laughs> like putting his putting the lakers there's nobody other than lebron yeah imagine amazing and he's like Jimmy taking Butler would be pretty cool he's too. like taking the styles clash or whatever like the package pile driver and things oh joel and bead can i say joel and bead oh, that'd be fun. be fun mm-hmm. everybody thinks he like takes it take, goes a little bit easy too anyway let's Zion. move on we got to get out of here Here's Seth Summerfield asks, is the NX, is NXT pushing Dexter Loomis the smartest wrestling thing to happen in quarantine? Because yes. building his character's eerie serial killer glares works much better in crowdless silence. It is. There's this whole, I mean, there's this sort of implicit storyline that he would have been like, is much more comfortable coming out in public without people around. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been really enjoying Dexter Loomis. He's another big winner. Although, you know, I don't know how big it's going to end up being. But yeah, I mean, there's NXT has been really fun, man. And Dexter Loomis has been a pleasant surprise. What have you been drinking during quarantine? Lancaster Brewing Company beers. Nice. Hopefully they'll be free now. Drinking quarantine Ovaltine. What's bigger, the podcast break or Batista's dick? Nice. I thought you'd like that. Okay. If you could go back in time and sit front row for any match ever, which one? Oh, I mean, it has to be the. Uh, we got to do more. We're going to do more historical stuff in the next couple of weeks. It's got to be the Freebirds and the Von Eriks. Really? I'd love to be. Yeah. Oh man, what a crazy. What's that in the cage? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, not the Freebirds and the Von Eriks. It's Carrie Von Erich versus Ric Flair, where the where Michael PSA slams the door on Carrie's head. Like that moment would be have been insane. That's cool. That's at the Sportatorium. Yeah, WrestleMania three would have been fun too. I mean, there's a lot of things that'd be fun to say to have been there, almost Undertaker like saying you were there. Hell in a cell, front row. No, it would be crazy. I don't do that. I need 
Mick Foley's teeth in my lap. In my nose? That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple good ones. What else would you like? Um, man, there's so many. I'm gonna go back and look at these. We'll talk about this more. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make my top five or or try to. I'll just make a list of matches I want to see live. Go back in time. Okay, cool. Anyway, um, I gotta run. Thank you so much for doing this. Sorry it's taken so long. We're gonna be back sooner than ever. Sooner than ever. We're gonna be back soon. Jim, whether you like it or not, we're gonna keep doing this. The Mass Man Show is back. Quarantine or no. Uh, apologies as always to Johnny Moxley. We'll see you back here next time, Humanoids. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. 